Take your Bible, if you would, please. Make your way to 2 Peter. 2 Peter will be our text this morning, as it has been the last four weeks. It will continue to be this week, and Lord willing, it will continue to be at least two more weeks as we have been in a series that uh, finds its uh, togetherness with what was just sung to us on the subject of spiritual growth. Second Peter chapter 3, verse number 18 has been our theme verse for this. The Apostle Peter acknowledged and told and encouraged those of us that are believers in Christ, those of us that have been saved by God's grace, that we are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have set aside some time here at the beginning of 2022 to analyze and to think about our lives and the subject of spiritual growth. This is something that the Apostle Peter was well-versed in, had experienced himself. He writes about it in both epistles, 1 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 3, as the acknowledgement of our responsibility and the blessing of spiritual growth in our lives. I have been challenging you as I have been challenged by the Lord to examine my life and to see how I am doing in this area of spiritual growth. Uh, We have been looking at the cycle of spiritual growth. Many people have a desire to spiritually grow And sometimes they ask me, Pastor, where do I begin? How does this unfold? Give to me a practical help to guide me in my spiritual growth. Peter acknowledges this in the first chapter of his second epistle by outlining for us seven things that we have linked as a cycle of spiritual growth. These are to be added together. We are looking into them individually, but all of these are to be part of our daily life. And I would submit to you that uh, as Peter has acknowledged, there is a a depression and a discouragement that falls in the life of God's children when there is the absence of spiritual growth. He acknowledges this with two words found in verse number eight of chapter number one, if you would look at that. He says, for if these things be in you and abound, which means that they are applied, they make you that ye shall neither be barren or unfruitful. That word barren is the, is, carries with it the idea of uselessness. Of course, you know what unfruitful means. That would be the absence or the inability of producing fruit. Many of God's people, even though they're children of the living God, uh, find themselves sometimes wrestling in the kingdom of God with uselessness and unfruitfulness. Peter let us know that these would be things that we would have to deal with if we were not spiritually growing in our lives. 
And so he talks about the blessing and the need of this as for us as individuals and for us at, corporately as the body of Christ. And so we've added four things already. Look at them, if you would, please, in verse number five. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Now, I said this before, and I will say it again, and I need you to hear and understand what Pastor Hunter is saying. Peter is not saying, add these things to our life so we can have faith. He's saying, add these things to our life because we have faith. Let me be more clear. You do not add these things to be saved. You add these things to your life because you are already saved. Okay? Nobody gets to heaven because you add good works to your life. Nobody. We're not saved by good works. We're saved by the grace of God and our faith in the Lord Jesus. And that's you, would you say amen? But once you have received by faith the Lord Jesus, you possess saving faith, then we are in this Christian life to grow. This word add carries with it our responsibility. This is our responsibility to practice, our responsibility to apply, our responsibility to see that as God enables these things in our life, that we desire them, we move according to them, and that we apply them. The first one there in verse number five starts with a V, and the word is virtue, moral excellence. Once you've been saved by God's grace, as Brother Rod sang to us, we were at enmity, now we're a child of the living God. We were in the uh, sinfulness of our old man, now we've been created new. What we used to be, we no longer are. And really the first area you experience that is in your morality. Saved people operate under God's morality. The problem is, many of our Christian folks are suffering from usefulness and unfruitfulness because we add more of the world's morality than we do God's morality. And I would submit to you that the world's morality is not the same as God's morality. Saved people are not immoral people. Amen. Right? We're not. We may fall. We may have moments. But the bent of our life has been straightened in the Lord Jesus. Knowledge. Spiritual truth. This is me applying the word of God to every area of my life. Matter of fact, Peter even addressed how uh, applicable the knowledge of him that hath called us is that pertains in verse number three unto everything in our life. So as I'm growing in my Christian life, every area that I come to, I want to know what does God say about this? What does the Bible say about this? Every emotional need, every physical need, every financial need, every relational need, no matter where I am, as I'm growing spiritually, I'm constantly adding spiritual truth to my life. Now, now, the, the culture may say something, the media may say something, a, a blogger may say something, 
a internet influencer may say something, but nobody's word ought to mean more to us than God's word. Okay, so, so I'm adding spiritual truth. I hope you've been doing that lately. Let me tell you something. When you begin to add God's knowledge and the spiritual truths to every area of your life, you will find that this Bible then, it becomes a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your way. You find as you commit yourself to the word of God that there's direction there. So exciting is it to be able to apply spiritual truth to our lives. Temperance. Temperance is found in verse number six. That's self-control. Nothing more discouraging than an out-of-control Christian. Out-of-control is really being uh, controlled by our flesh. We are to have a self-control that we found that this is a spirit control that gives us victory over that old man that enables us to know a direction, a calmness. This is a strong word. This is not the, the, the ability for sin to not have dominion over us. This is my temper. This is my tongue. This is my personality. I, I have sanity to my life. I have security to my life. And by the way, just let me say something. There's no more sane book in all the world than this book. Opposite of this is insanity. Now, I'll say this about myself, and you may, you may receive this, you may not. Really, truthfully, when it comes to the things of God, prior to being saved, I lived an insane life. It was only when I came to the person of Christ and accepted him as my Lord and Savior and I was redeemed and I was made new was I brought in to sanity. Now, if you think about this, I could give you a long list of how the world is operating in insanity today, right? Let's just take gender identification. Honestly, right? I'm looking at you, you're looking at me. I'm looking at how God made you. By the way, God made all of us. And you want me to honestly believe that all of a sudden like this, you've become opposite? Huh? And, and yeah, you, man has the ability to, to, to gender change and do all they do. But forgive me here, if we strip you down naked, we're going to know the truth. <laughs> By the way, the Bible says that all things are open and naked unto God. So you might... They, they want the world to look at them the way they want the world to look at them. But God sees us as the way God created us. It is insane. Think about this. I'm so grateful for the sanity of this book in the Savior of this book. Okay, uh, Patience. Patience was an, an endurance, right? This is, this is me not quitting on the Lord. This is me not jumping ship on the Lord. This is me knowing that, that even when God is working and it hurts or it's painful, sometimes in essence God says to us, be, please be patient with me. 
And so many times we get impatient with God and we take control and we jump ship early and we miss out on the blessing. I hope you've been adding virtue, knowledge, temperance, and patience. If you've been doing that, it's, an, it's a blessed life, I'll tell you that for sure. Our, our subject today finds itself at the end of verse number six. You see it says, and to patience, say that word out loud, please, godliness. So now as we move on in, in the cycle, you and I are to add to our lives godliness. Now if I asked you to get a mental definition of what you think is godliness let's do that in your mind how would you define the word godly godliness get a definition if you would please from my study and from searching you will find that at the root of the word is devotion or devoutness it carries with it an idea of wellness, devoted well. If I was to give you a, a, a wonderful practical definition of godliness, I would use the word godlikeness. Not that you and I are God or that we become God. Both of that would be blasphemous. But after I have been saved, according to John in his epistle, as he was in this world, so are we. And as I, you and I have been saved and we've been uh, dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, God is conforming us under the image of his Son. So let me just say it very clear. The longer you've been saved, the more like God you should become. How, pastor? The more like God you should become as who he was in his person. That doesn't mean you're going to do miracles. That doesn't mean you have any God-like uh, 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 attributes. But it does mean as his life is in you and the salvation is working out and he's working in you, you smell like him, you taste like him, you talk like him, you act like him, you respond like him, you look like him. When people see you, they see Christ. By the way, that's how we got the name Christian. It wasn't that the church got together and all of a sudden the book of Acts said, I think we should be called Christians. Read the book of Acts. When they were at Antioch, it wasn't saved people that gave them that name. It was unsaved people that gave them that name. So unsaved people looked at people who reminded them or looked or acted like Christ. And they said, those people are of that new way. They are Christ followers or they were called Christian. By the way, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm honored to be considered a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ, right? Godlikeness. Listen to some definitions. A Godward attitude that produces Godlike actions. The fear 
or reverence of God is tied to this word. Not in a negative, hurtful way for fear, but in an awe-inspiring way, the way a young boy or a daughter would look up to their dad or their mom in, a, in, an, in an inspirational way. We say it, God-fearing. There's this godly reverence in my heart and in my mind that affects my attitude, that affects my actions. It could be said, one commentator said it this way, reverence manifested in actions, pleasing to God. So time out, moment to catch our breath. Pastor would like to ask you, are you God-like? When you think about yourself spiritually, are you God-like? If I was to go to work with you tomorrow, would they say, there comes the God-like man or the God-like woman? If I was to go to family dinner with you today, here comes the God-like man or the God-like woman. Is godliness part of your life. Peter said the absence of it brings a uselessness and an unfruitfulness to our lives and we're not going to know spiritual growth without adding godliness. Now let me show you so we're clear on the possibility of this. Look if you would please at 2 Peter chapter 1 verse number 3. This is not something that you and I can develop or, or, or bring out of thin air. This is not something we can do in and of ourselves. There must be a reality here that has to happen. Look, if you would, at verse number three. According as his, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, as his, what are those two words, class? Divine power. Underline that. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and what? Godliness. So if we're going to know godliness, it does not come by our power. It must come by a divine power. Where does that divine power come from? Look at verse number four. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye may be partakers of the, what are those two words? Divine nature. So in verse number four, we have divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Verse number three, we have the divine power. So when I got saved and, the whole, and you got saved, the Holy Spirit of God indwelt you and brought with you the nature of God. Prior to that, the only nature I had within me was my sinful nature. Now as a believer, I possess two natures. Both of them want control of my life. Praise the Lord that I no longer have to be enslaved to my old sinful nature. There is a new sheriff in town. And not only has he brought his nature with him, but he's also brought power into my life where sin does not have to have dominion over my life. What I used to be no longer is in control. If I allow the spirit of God control, there is the divine nature and the divine power that has the ability to bring about godliness in my life. Titus chapter 1, please. You need this verse. Titus chapter 1, just a couple of pages to your left. Actually, more than a couple, a few. The book of Titus. 
Turn with me, please. We've got four or five other places to go. Verse number one, Paul wrote the same thought in uh, um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, but let's just use one for sake of time. Verse number one, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after what class? Godliness. So Paul talks about truth according to godliness in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and truth which is productive of godliness in Titus chapter 1. So, so the reality is, as I have possessed now the divine nature through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he brings the divine power of God with him that enables me to know victory, and I have the word of God according to that leads me in the in production of godliness in my life so i want to stop and say this absent of the word of god we cannot add godliness to our lives so if you're not reading the word of god then the productiveness of the doctrines of the word of god are not enabling you to to know the joy of godliness or the adding of godliness to your life so so don't tell me we can't do these things, right? Stay, stay connected. Peter said, you, this is on you, Tom. This is on you, sir. This is on you, ma'am. You have the responsibility to add to your faith. I have enabled this by my divine nature, my divine power, and the word of God. I bring those things into you. I have those things for you. But you have to want Virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, and godliness. And the evidence that you want it is you have to apply it into your life. So let's talk about this godlikeness that is to be added to our life. Let's do a little bit of a Bible study here. Find, if you would, please, Titus chapter 2. Uh, one, two, three, four. I have five of them. Titus chapter 2. I will let the Bible preach the message today. It's a much better preacher than I am. Verse number 11, Titus chapter 2, verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. We know that to be the Lord Jesus. Teaching us that denying, what class? Ungodliness. Denying ungodliness. What is ungodliness? Anything that's not God-like. Anything that lacks the character of God, the holiness of God, the power of God, the attributes of God. Anything that finds its, its beginning in our worldly lust. We should, that's not a suggestion. That's like my dad when he used to suggest to me, I think you should do this, I mean do it or die. We live, we should live soberly, righteously, and what class? Godly in this present world. So, believer, understand this. You are commanded by God to live godly. In this present world. So, so goes the argument, well, it's harder to be a Christian now than it has ever been in the time of people on the earth. Tell that to the 
early church when they were persecuting them. Godly in this present world. So let me just stop. We're talking about spiritual growth here. Let me ask you to analyze your life. Are you living godly in this present world? I submit to you, if you are living godly in this present world, then we look and sound very different than this present world. Right? So, so you have a godlikeness in the way that you act that has sprung from your attitude based off of the divine nature and power and word of God that is within you. And so, when people look at you, they say, that guy's godlike, or that lady's godlike. How are you living? How is your private life? Paul told Timothy... All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I think one of the evidences that we live a godly life is that we face persecution in our life. It's interesting. Look, if you would, please, at 1 Timothy chapter 4, please mark all of these verses. Verse number seven, I appreciate you turning. Pastor, it's difficult to live godly in this present world. This world is an alcoholic, drug-infested, sexual, God-hating, pleasure-seeking, arrogant, fashionable world, okay? Verse number seven, 1 Timothy 4. But refuse profane and old wives' fables and, what's that word, class? Exercise. Let your eyes fall to verse number eight. You see the same word, exercise. But refuse profane and old wives' fables. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little. And everybody, including me, that's overweight said, "Thank thank the dear Lord. But godliness is what class? Profitable unto all things. So not only are you to live godly, God, God wants you to exercise godliness. That word exercise means to, to train your mind or your body. So, so let's just be clear about something. Tom Hunter's body, the members of my body, hate godliness in and of themselves. The members of my body that are tied to my old sinful nature, they they were servants to that old nature. When I got saved in in, in the Holy Spirit of God and dwelt me the way he indwelt you, Paul told us that we were to yield our members as servants of righteousness, not servants of unrighteousness. Left to myself, my default will always be 
to exercise my flesh. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord that I'm not left to myself and you're not left to yourself. We have the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us. So as I submit to him, then he enables me to know victory over that. But Peter said, you've got to train your mind. You've got to train your body. The same way you train your mind and your body for physical exercise, you've got to train your mind and your body for godliness. Now, where, where in the world would you go to train your mind? Right here. There's no better jungle gym than the Word of God. Right? Second, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Be not conformed with this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. <clears throat> I won't make you raise your hand if you have a gym membership. Nor will I ask you to quit your gym membership. But are you telling me you get up every day at 6 o'clock and go to the gym or you go to the gym every night and you spend an hour in there and you don't exercise godliness at all in your life? You get up and you run or you walk and you exercise your body, but we don't exercise for godliness? So I'm just, I'm just asking you, pastor to people, you love me and I love you. Do you go to the gym an hour a day, five days a week? Tell me that's not, you do the same in the Bible or more. Come on, pastor, that's just not a reality. Yeah, it is. Absolutely, it's a reality. We... We just have to want it. First Timothy chapter 6. I'm so glad I have the Bible because what else would I have to preach right now? Verse number 5. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth... I'm jumping in an argument here, supposing that gain is godliness or money is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is, say those two words. So not only do we live godly, or we command to live godly, we're told to exercise godliness. Exercise, train your body, train your mind, put effort, sweat, work, callous. But but you have to value godliness. And, and, and Paul equates this value with a greater value than money. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be content. They that will be rich, there's nothing wrong with being rich. But if it's the goal of your life, fall into temptation and a snare and a many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they've erred from the faith, they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, follow after righteousness, say it, class, godliness. So there has to be a value. 
I guess I just ask you, do you value godliness, godlikeness? How precious is it to you? What do we equate it to? I would submit to you that godliness with contentment, according to the scripture, is greater gain than all the money in the world you could ever make. Hmm. Fourthly, 2 Timothy chapter 3. These are just the scripture here. Verse number one, this know also that in last days, speaking of the days before Jesus comes back, which we believe we're in, perilous times shall come. We know that. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. I call that the internet. I mean, that's the world, man. Now watch verse number five. Having a, what's that word? Form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such do what? Turn away. So, so when it comes to adding godliness, I'm commanded to live a godly life. I'm commanded to exercise godliness. I'm commanded to value godliness, but I'm also commanded to perceive godliness. Now, this one gets a little sticky. What he's saying there is this. Just because somebody looks godly on the outward doesn't mean they're godly on the inside. Now, as Christian people, we have the responsibility to perceive godliness, we don't like this because we don't, we don't, well, we don't want to judge, Pastor. You know, I'm not, I'm not anybody's judge. Well, the truth is the truth. And the reality is, if I'm only godly in my appearance and I'm not godly in my actions, then I'm ungodly. Say that again. See, godliness is, is godlike action that comes from a godlike attitude. And if I'm only godlike in my shell, but I'm not godlike in my action, and I just have a, a form of godliness, but I deny the power thereof, that, that's evidence that I'm not even a believer in the Lord. Denying the power, think about our first point. The only way that godliness is even possible in my life is that I possess the divine nature of Christ. If that's you, would you say amen? And he brings his divine power. So if I don't have divine power to know godliness, then the absence of godliness is really the absence of Christ in me. Now this one stings when you think about church and Christianity across the world, we've got a lot of people that have a form of godliness, but they deny the authority and the power of the new nature, which means they've rejected it. It is not within them. It is such that the church is to walk away from them. By the way, when you read this subject, these are people that are inside the church. So now, Pastor Hunter, go, let's go back to this thought, right? Useless and unfruitful. Useful and fruitful. 
There is an honest and there's a dishonest approach to this. If I truly am a believer, I can struggle sometimes and I can know uselessness and unfruitfulness. But if I'm a fake and I just have a form, then I'm never going to know any usefulness or fruitfulness because I have denied the nature and the power and the word of God in my life. And it doesn't matter how many suits I own or how often I come to church. God knows our hearts. So it's time for the church of Christ to understand that not everything that says it is spiritual is wholly spiritual. Which brings me to my last point, which is a tremendous point. Back to 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter is addressing the imminent coming of the Lord Jesus. He's addressing the day of the Lord that will come as a thief in the night, verse number 10. And look at verse number 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, speaking of the earth passing away, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and what class? Godliness. So I'm to live godly. I'm to exercise godliness. I'm to value godliness. I'm to perceive godliness. But I'm also to examine my own life. And in all of the world around me, I'm to ask myself, am I a godly person? Am I acting in godliness? And if the absence of that, or the answer to that is, no, if I'm truly a believer, I have the ability to know this, I, I need to add this to my life. And it's not just in what I do, but it's how I receive people. It's how I meet people. It's how I react to people. When people run into me, they should run into Jesus. When people hear me, they should hear Jesus. I, I have God in me. He should be seen in my life. So in closing, just let me ask you a question. Are you godly? Well, pastor, how would I know if I'm godly? In every area of life, maybe not in total perfection, but you have a desire and a practice of God-likeness. That's godliness. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, this is a good one. You put this one after patience and temperance. You put this one in the middle of the pack. But it's so important. David said, in his day, he saw the ceasing of godly men. I don't want to see the ceasing of godly people. I don't, I don't think we're there at Plantation Baptist, but I don't want to get there. So all of us have to analyze our life and see as believers, are we adding godliness? Not not as we think it should be, but according to the nature, the divine nature. Not in our own strength, but according to the divine power. Not in our own direction, but according to the eternal word of God. And then we, we practice it. There's a God-likeness. Man, spiritual growth necessitates godliness. Just a moment with your heads bowed and your eyes closed.
Don't think about anybody else. Just think about yourself. Adding godliness. I know almost everybody. I know you're godly people. But I'm sure there's room. Maybe there's an area we need to add it. Maybe there's an overall understanding that we need. Are you a godly, are you living a godly life? You know the answer to that question. If the answer to that question is, Pastor, I'm struggling in some areas, then add godliness. Add godliness. You make it sound so easy, Pastor. You have the divine nature. You have the divine power. You have the word of God. All the Holy Spirit needs from you is the want to the application, and the faithfulness of adding godliness. Would you stand, please? Father, we give an invitation every week, folks, to have opportunity to respond to you. We're all thinking, we're all thinking, am I a godly person? Am I godlike in my behavior, my speech, my practice? my being or do I need to add some of this in some areas of my life Holy Spirit you're God and you search our hearts so you have to search pray you would have your way and your will in this invitation time now in Jesus name Amen